All right, good morning. You could find your seats, please. That'd be great. Wasn't that awesome? We get to talk to each other again. It's great. Thank you, Lord. All the, all the extroverts in the room just feel like you just died and went to heaven, don't you? The introverts were like, that was the longest five minutes of my life. Wow. If you're a guest here this morning, uh, my name's Mark. I serve as one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to bring God's word to us this morning. Um, we're in 2 Corinthians this morning, but I want to just give you a heads up. Uh, as we, um, May 2nd, Lord willing, uh, combine with Sojourn to become uh, one new church, we're going to take May and June and do a uh, sermon series called Faithful Church. And we just want to go particularly to the book of Ephesians and just cast a vision for the kind of church we believe God is calling us to be. So we'll give more information about that uh, uh, in, in, in the weeks ahead. We've got a few more weeks in, in 2 Corinthians, then we'll take that break and then we'll come back to 2 Corinthians for July and August. This morning, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 1 to 13. So please, if you don't have a Bible uh, uh, nearby, get one going on your phone, grab one if you're in the room uh, from the stations that are uh, where the, the Lord's Supper elements are. And we're also going to have the Lord's Supper at the end of the, of the sermon. And uh, if you're at home, uh, wherever you are, please, it'd be really helpful if you have a Bible because we want to hear God's word. We want to see God's word. And I'm going to go back to the passage as we go through the sermon. Sherry Jackson is going to read the word for us this morning. Thank you, Sherry. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also." Let's, let's pray. Oh God, we have just heard your words to us. These are not empty words. These words are our life. These are living words. And I pray now for the power of the Holy Spirit in our minds and hearts to bring your word home to us 
so that we might see you in your glory, so that we might follow you wholeheartedly, so that we might be able to be ambassadors in this city that you've set us in. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I read a wonderful book called Raised with Christ, How the Resurrection Changes Everything. And I'm going to just pause here for an advertisement for our bookstore. We are in the process of reducing the number of titles of books in our bookstore because people's buying habits are changing. And there are great books in our bookstore at half price, and this is one of them. So go get one of these when we're done. But the subtitle is what I want to draw your attention to, How the Resurrection Changes Everything. Now, People throw that slogan around, that phrase around all the time. iPhones change everything. The Dodge Intrepid was supposed to change everything. Normally, normally when I hear that tossed around, I'm skeptical. Like how many things can really change everything, right? So I want to ask the question. Last week, we celebrated Easter and Jesus' resurrection does Jesus' resurrection really change everything? As we've been going through 2 Corinthians, we've seen that because Jesus lives, we can see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Because Jesus lives, we can enter into a new kind of relationship with God through a covenant, an eternal commitment from God to us that's sealed in our hearts, on the interior of our beings by the Holy Spirit of God himself. Because Jesus lives, we have hope amidst all the groanings of this world and can sing, blessed be your name. Because Jesus lives, we have a ministry of reconciliation because God has reconciled us to himself in Christ. We can now be reconciled to one another in the body of Christ, and we can go into the world with a ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors for God. So in the middle of a corrupt and polluted and lost and rebellious world, the new creation has begun. That little seed is sprouting and growing, as we see in the graphic for the series. The kingdom of God is present, and the best is yet to come. Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ really does change everything. Now, if that's true, how does it change life together in the church? How does Jesus' resurrection change our shared lives together in church? That's really what comes into view in this passage. That's the lens I want to come to this passage with Jesus' resurrection changes our understanding of time, of leadership, and of collaboration. Because Jesus lives, we have a, a new understanding of what time it is, of what Christian leadership is all about, and of collaboration in kingdom work. That's where this passage is going to take us this morning. So, let me begin Verses 1 and 2, and here's the, the first point I want to make from those two verses. Jesus' resurrection makes today the day of salvation. So don't miss it. Don't 
miss it. Look at back at verse 1. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. There's, an, there's a warning here. There's an urgency here. There's, the grace of God is there. Don't, don't miss it. Don't receive it in vain. For, he writes, in a favorable time I listened to you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now. Can you hear that? Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So if I ask you, hey, what time is it? Or what day is it? We, we know how to answer those questions, right? Because we orient our lives around clocks and calendars. And of course, it's God who creates and maintains an orderly world by his providence so that clocks and calendars are reliable and predictable. But if you ask God, what time is it? Or what day is it? I wonder if we might not get a different answer or an additional answer to it's 1045 on April 11th. Because God has his own calendar. He points to it right here in this passage. Since Jesus rose from the dead, now is the time of God's favor, the moment of grace. Now is the day of salvation. Don't miss it. See, Paul, the apostle, as he's writing to this church, he's seeking to persuade them not to miss out on the grace of God. And he's pointing them to something else in our Bibles. Can you see how verse 2 in, in your Bible, see how it's set in different uh, uh, typeface in, in, in different ways than the rest of the prose? It's set off. Why is it set that way? It's because it's a quote from something else in the Bible. Where? What else in the Bible? What else is, is being quoted here? If you have cross-references, look in your, in your Bible right there, and you'll see that 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2 is a citation. It's a quotation from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 49 and verse 8. So I want you to go back with me. Keep your, keep your 2 Corinthians 6 open, but go back with me to Isaiah, chapter 49. I want you to see these words. Why would this preacher in the first century to this group of Gentile converts who don't have Jewish backgrounds, why would he point this church to this passage from the prophet Isaiah? Can you see the high view he has of scripture and the expectation that these converts, there might be a few Jewish converts there, but they're mostly Gentiles here. He's expecting them to be conversant with the prophet Isaiah and with what we call our Old Testament Today, Isaiah 49 is one of several passages where Isaiah writes about a servant who's coming. These are called servant songs. Chapter 42 is one. Chapter 49 is one. The most famous one, we recited at our Good Friday service, Isaiah 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Who is this servant? When Jesus comes, we discover he is this suffering servant. And so this servant in chapter 49 here, look what it says. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Who's the you? Look back in verse 6 at the same chapter. He says, is it, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant. Skip down to the I. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Who could that be? Well, of course, the Sunday school answer is going to get this one right. It's Jesus. 
He's the light of the nations. He's the one through whom salvation reaches to the end of the world, to the end of the earth. And God is saying, I helped you. I answered you in the day of salvation. I helped you. So how did God help his servant Jesus in the day of salvation? He helped him in what we just celebrated last week. He helped him live and die and on Easter Sunday, rise again so that salvation could be proclaimed to the ends of the earth through the servant, through Jesus Christ. So try to get yourself back in the seat of, of somebody sitting there in Corinth and, and hearing this letter being read to them. In a favorable time, I listened to you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now, now, today, here, this moment, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. The guy who's writing is the guy who came to your city and for the first time, to, for anybody there, preached about Jesus. All kinds of people heard. A church was formed. But now you know what's happening in your church? People are drifting away from that message and that devotion to Christ and they're trading in this Apostle Paul for some fancy new leaders. Everything's changing. And so he comes warning them, saying, look, you can come to church. You can hear God's word. You might have made a profession of faith in Jesus. You might have family and friends who are Christians. And yet you can fail to receive the grace of God and do something with it that will make a difference. You can receive it in vain. That word vain, the Greek word means empty doesn't mean rejection, just means empty. It, it comes to no purpose. Th think about it this way. The government sends you a stimulus check. You go out to your mailbox, you get the mail, and you got a bunch of stuff there, and you're just looking through. You got an ad for groceries, toss it. You got an ad for credit cards, toss it. You got junk mail to buy windows, toss it. Some from the IRS, ah, who needs that? Toss it. Wait, wait, what happened? You got the check. It's sitting in there in your hand, but you don't do anything with it. So it doesn't do you any good. That's receiving the check in vain. And so he's saying, you've got the gospel, the message of Christ in your hands. Don't receive it in vain. And so we slow down right here and we say, are you putting God off this morning? I'll get serious about God tomorrow. I want to make a bunch of money. Then, I'll, then I'm going to follow Jesus. Now's the time to have fun. I can do the God thing later. Why shouldn't I enjoy sex even if I'm not married? Everybody else is doing it. I'll, I'll, I'll repent later. I appeal to you. On behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Christianity isn't like a jacket that you just put on for a couple hours on Sunday morning and then take it off. It's a wholehearted, whole life commitment to no longer living for yourself, but for Christ, who for your sake died and was raised. Won't you be reconciled to him and give him your all? If you don't know how to do that, if you feel stuck, if you're not sure what that looks like, 
I would love to talk with you about that. There's probably somebody that you know, maybe somebody that you're near with this morning who's a Christian who could help you with that. Please reach out to God. Respond to the moment of grace. Second, let's move on. Jesus' resurrection turns leaders into servants who suffer. Expect this. Here are realistic expectations. Verse 3, Paul has this uncomfortable experience he's having with this church. They're rejecting him and turning away from him, and he needs to commend himself to them, not because he's so thin-skinned that he really cares that much about what anybody thinks about him, but he's concerned for the welfare of this church and the health of the gospel in this church and this church's ability to be a salt and light in their city and to partner with him to send him to gospel-needing regions beyond. And so this whole letter is a long appeal to this church to be discerning about Christian ministry and, and this is where it gets awkward because he's, he's trying to help them to be discerning about his ministry and the difference between his ministry and these imposters who've made their way into the church. So this section is a sort of a resume and there are several of these in the letter. I want, I'm going to read a little bit to you and I want you to think about if you've ever filled out a resume, ask yourself if you've ever put down these kinds of things about yourself. He says, we commend ourselves in every, every way. Here's our resume. Verse 4. By endurance... In afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Like, are those the kinds of things you want to advertise? Like, oh, this is the kind of guy I want to partner with, so I can get involved in all that kind of stuff too, right? Like, this isn't the, the way we talk about ourselves. But, but what he's saying is, hey, you know what? This is exactly how I want to talk about myself. I'm going to commend myself to you based on my suffering and my weaknesses. He's saying, if you want to authenticate and validate my ministry, here's how you can do it. And he's not going to point to bestsellers that he's written, although we could point out he's actually writing the Bible. He's, he's not going to point out how fast his churches grew or how many there are or how many followers he's got on Instagram or anything of those kinds of things, right? He's highlighting his suffering and his weakness for Christ. And this connects right to Easter, doesn't it? Doesn't this sort of make sense? He's following a crucified Messiah. Is it any surprise that he's being treated like his crucified Messiah was treated? Oh, brothers and sisters... We live in fearful times, but don't fear. If the world turns on Christian leaders and the world turns on Christian people, if Christians find themselves at the bottom politically and socially, don't be surprised and don't be afraid. That's where Jesus was too. And the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of God. Fear not. And he moves on. Look at verse 6. Different kind of thing on this part of the resume. Purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, the power of God, and the weapons of righteousness for the right hand, for the left. The right hand would have the, the sword, the offensive weapon, and the left hand would have the shield, the defensive weapon. Consider these qualities. Pure. Patient. Kind. This amazing apostle saying you hang around him, you're going to be in the presence of a, 
of a patient and a kind person, speaking truthfully. How out of step is that with the world we're living in today? Are people saying those kinds of things about us? Hope so. Because what he's, what he's lining out here, does this sound like anybody else we know? Genuinely loving? It's Jesus, right? He's describing the character of Jesus. And leaders who follow the crucified Messiah will be empowered by his spirit to resemble Jesus more and more. And if that's not happening, that's a problem. Those leaders are in trouble. Christians who follow the crucified Messiah will also become more like him in his character. In fact, even that suffering can be used greatly by God to make us resemble Christ more and more. Christ who learned obedience through his suffering. You know, if you no longer live for yourself, but for Christ, if you behold the glory of the Lord and are being transformed from one degree of glory to another, if you have the same power in you that raised Christ from the dead, then you will increasingly resemble him in his character. It's happening in Paul's life. can happen in ours too. Third aspect of the resume. Look at verse 8. Through honor and dishonor, slander and praise, treated as impostors and yet true, unknown yet well-known, dying, behold we live, punished yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. Wildly differing experiences in the world. And this sort of makes sense too, doesn't it? Jesus was slandered and dishonored, wasn't he? And yet God honors him with the name above every name. Jesus' servants follow the same path. Sorrowful and yet always rejoicing. Isn't that what we were singing about this morning? In the midst of sorrow, there is grace and power for a kind of rejoicing in knowing who God is and that we belong to him and that one day we'll be home with him. You know, for me, I can look at the litany of suffering in this list and be sort of intimidated. I think that my life doesn't look much like that at all. In fact, I had this funny moment. I was working through this passage this week on Wednesday, just, just translating it and, and thinking through these words. And while I was doing that, I was on the phone because I had this credit from an airline for a flight I couldn't take because of COVID and I signed up to take a new flight and I wanted to use my credit to take the new flight. And they said I could do that when they gave me the credit, but boy, did they make it hard for me to actually do it when I wanted to use it. And it was kind of irritating and frustrating and it was an hour of my time back and forth on hold, back and forth on hold. Well, no, but it's still me. I, I, and eventually we got it worked out and I was just thinking, hmm, beatings, imprisonments, an hour on the phone on hold to use a credit. I don't, I don't suffer like Paul did. And I expect you can look through this list and say the same about your life too. And the reality is we aren't called to live the same life as Paul but we are called to live the same kind of life because we too are servants of God. We may not experience everything on this list, but we will experience affliction. And if we follow Jesus, we will suffer for it. We will also experience all the comfort God gives in the midst of affliction. I came across a little passage in a book uh, that uh, had a chapter by Tim Keller in it. And I found this very helpful. He says, 
If you go out into the world resembling Jesus by his resurrection power within you, if you turn the other cheek, if you love people who are unlovable, if you always tell the truth, what, what will happen? Well, you'll find his sufferings reenacted in your life. People are going to be unhappy with you. You'll be taken advantage of. People will be offended. If they were offended by Jesus, why wouldn't they be offended by you if you resemble Jesus? So, in the shadow of Easter, Christ risen from the dead, his resurrection power working in us, are you ready to live like this? Ready to live sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. And here's a wonderful evaluation package for your leaders. Please evaluate us as leaders on these terms. Are we living as God's servants? Are we controlled by the love of Christ? Is the character of Christ increasing in our lives? Are we increasingly resembling him? Do we embrace suffering, dishonor, hardship, slander when it comes and not fight back in the old ways of the world, but respond as Christ would? Do we bring the aroma of Christ with us wherever we go? Are we humble? Are we truthful? Are we sorrowful yet always rejoicing? Is the joy of the Lord there in our lives? I hope we are. I hope these things are increasing. Please pray for us that we can live this way. And please work with us and help us to grow and live and help us where we fall short in these things because we want to be servants of God like this. Finally, Jesus' re resurrection unites people as kingdom co-workers. So open your hearts to them. Look at verse 11. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Now remember, this is a letter not written to a person. It's written to a church, written to a congregation like ours, right? And the big question is, who will you align yourselves with? Who will you follow, humanly speaking? Who will you partner with in the work of the kingdom that began when the gospel was preached there by Paul and his co-workers? Will you pick these sort of fancy, flashy, polished speakers who have come in and they're charging a fortune? Are you going to pick plain old Paul? Maybe not the best orator, but wonderfully Christ-centered. Now, why is this so important? Why is he willing to fight to preserve his relationship with this congregation? Got plenty of other things he could be doing. He is doing this, I believe, because God works out his mission his great plan to bring salvation to the end of the earth. God works this out, not through a million disconnected individuals, but through collaboration, through gospel partnerships, teams working together, churches 
that unite in that mission. Groups of churches that unite in that mission. Collaboration, partnering is vital to the work of the gospel and the Great Commission being done. Now, despite the way that this church in Corinth had slandered and demeaned the author of this letter, Paul, oh, don't you see the love of Christ compelling him? He's just not going to give up, even though it may be personally hurtful and hard. And so he says, look, we've spoken freely to you. Our heart is open wide, literally spoken freely. He says, our mouth is open wide and our heart's open wide. It's like he's standing there with his arms wide open, waiting for a hug. And he says, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affection. So he's there ready for a hug and they're standing back there like this. No way. You ever tried to hug somebody that's doing this? Do you know how awkward that is? Like that's what's, it's not a reciprocal kind of a thing going on here. Their affections for him. You see the pictures of the Suez Canal when that container ship got stuck in there? Right? That's, you know what that is? That's a picture of restricted. And he's saying your affections are being restricted. But ours, in spite of all the hurt, ours are wide open, vulnerable, willing to be hurt again, controlled by the love of the risen Christ. I loved the testimony that one of the new members gave recently. Kathy, I didn't tell you I was going to quote you, but I'm going to quote you now, sorry. Kathy Graham stood here and said, you know, there are a lot of people that have been in this church for a long time, and I was amazed at how you welcomed me. Because you know each other. You don't need to be doing that anymore, but you did. You know what she was saying? She's saying, church, your hearts were open wide. Oh, I love that. I love that. Thank you for living that way. That's the spirit of the risen Christ at work in you. Gave me such joy to hear that. Romans 15, 7 says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Do you know, there's something, there's a, that's a profound gospel five minutes when we have this little greeting time. We're finally able to get back to in our service. Because God has welcomed us, we now welcome others. It's the vertical and then the horizontal. And I love the wisdom of God to bring this passage to us today. We're just rolling through 2 Corinthians. We started a long time ago. We're going to finish, Lord willing, in August. And here we are today on April 11th. Hey, you know what? Widen your hearts also. Hmm. I wonder if there's anything we could apply that to in our lives today. Like any new gospel partners coming our way anytime soon? Isn't this cool? Sojourn, we're taking the last steps today, the final steps to uniting with Sojourn. So here's a question. In his kindness, God's just saying, hey, church, will you widen your hearts? You ready? Your arms open wide or your folded hands stand on the sideline? God is uniting us with a hundred new gospel partners. How can we welcome them? How can we learn their names? Hear their stories? Get together with them for meals? Find out what they're passionate about? We, I want to say this morning, as a congregation, we have a unique opportunity to do this. I want you to think about, just for a moment, what their experience is going to be as we unite together. 
Though we're combining into one new church, this isn't a merger and acquisition. We're not, nobody's getting gobbled up here. Though we're combining into one new church, think about what's happening. They're coming into our building. They're coming into a church with our name. And there's a lot more of us than there are of them. So wouldn't it be easy for a member of Sojourn, despite our best intentions to feel like maybe, hey, you know, I kind of feel like I lost my church. I meet in a different place. We got their name and they all kind of seem to know each other. And oh, that would be so sad. And I know none of us want that to happen. We don't want anyone to feel like they lost their church as we combine together. And I hope every member of Sojourn and I hope every member of Redeeming Grace Church will experience the joy with widened hearts of welcoming new gospel partners into one church family so that we, by God's grace, can do great things for our great God. What an opportunity we have. If we can widen our hearts to them and they can widen our hearts to us, we will be in position to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for our new united church to accomplish. Nothing is lost on God. He doesn't do things for no reason. He is bringing us together because there are things we believe that he has created in advance for us to do that Sojourn couldn't do on their own, we couldn't do on our own, but we're going to be able to do together to bring good news and the love of Christ into our city and to the ends of the earth so that salvation may go to the ends of the earth. That's what this is about and that's who this is about. What a great God we serve. I just love this little passage. It's right here today. What an evidence of his wisdom and his fatherly love and care for us. The resurrection of Jesus, it changes everything, especially in church.